0: Well, Heidi's going to read our scripture passage this morning. Should we all stand for a reading of God's word? She'll be reading from Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Hey, Paul,
1: where's the passage? The passage? Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, "Tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away. While <laughs> and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Heidi. One of the greatest myths of our Western postmodern culture is that Christianity is on the decline, that somehow secularism is winning The church is losing, that the world is leaving the story of Jesus and the good news of his death and resurrection behind, and eventually Christianity will die out. Nothing could be further than the truth. You see, because while it is maybe true that cultural Christianity is dying in America, which I would argue is a good thing, but that's a different sermon, True, authentic, genuine Christianity is exploding all over the world. Philip Jenkins is a historian and the co-director of the historical studies of religion at Baylor University. Any Baylor Bears here this morning? Oh, good. A few of you. Sick them. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) This is what Professor Jenkins wrote in an article in The Atlantic. I want you to listen. Jenkins wrote, if we look beyond the liberal West, we see that another Christian revolution, quite different from the one being called for in affluent American suburbs and upscale urban parishes, is already in progress. Worldwide Christianity is actually moving towards supernaturalism and neo-orthodoxy, and in many ways towards the ancient worldview expressed In the New Testament, a vision of Jesus as the embodiment of divine power who overcomes the evil forces that inflict calamity and sickness upon the human race. Okay, what is he talking about? What you might not realize is that the epicenter of Christianity in our world is moving from the West to the global South. Places like South America, Africa, and Asia are exploding with the gospel reaching new people. Christianity is not on the decline. Christianity is on the rise and God is on the move. But you see, we do not need historians and sociologists and statisticians to tell us that because we know who's in charge. Jesus is the head of the church and he is extending his kingdom. He promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. And the book of Revelation tells us that when Christ comes again, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation will join in one voice and proclaim that salvation belongs to our God. And so the question for us this morning is not how do we stop the decline of Christianity. The question for us is how do we join Jesus in his mission to extend the kingdom because we know the end of the story. Jesus wins. For almost 30 years Park City's Presbyterian Church has existed to extend the transforming presence of the Kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ to Dallas and to the world. That is more than a mission statement that looks good on a piece of paper. That is a calling for every single member of our church. It is a calling that is rooted in the Great Commission. And so this morning as we talk about what it looks like for us as a church for the next 30 years, what does it look like for us as a church to extend Christ, I want us to spend some time with Jesus' own words to us. I want to spend some time in the Great Commission. The first thing I want us to know, I want you to know that Jesus calls us to go. Jesus calls us to go. I want you to look with me, Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew tells us Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, if you have grown up in church, you may have heard that this is called the Great Commission. This is Jesus sending his disciples out in order to make disciples of the whole world. It's a commissioning. These are Jesus' marching orders to his church, and they have been passed down from generation to generation. These are Jesus' words for us. They're the last words of the Gospel of Matthew, and they're a calling That we as the Church of Jesus Christ would go that's where I want to start the word go the word go is an incredibly important word because it speaks to who is in charge of our lives and I'll give you a hint it's not us we like to think that we are we act like we are we're anxious over things like we are We work according to our own agendas like we are. But Jesus says, go. He says, go. And he doesn't just say go, but he says, go, therefore. The word therefore is also important because it points to the verse that came right before Jesus's command. I want you to look with me at verse 18. Verse 18, we're told that Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What kind of authority does Jesus have? The kind of authority that gives him victory over sin and death. He holds all things together, Paul says. In the book of Colossians, it says that he is the head of the church We're told that in the beginning he was there when the world was created. All authority has been given to Jesus and it is out of that authority that he says, go. But what you need to know about the authority of Jesus is that it is not cold and callous. I want you to look at the last verse of the Great Commission in verse 20. In verse 20... Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is the kind of king who does not lead his army into battle from behind. He's not barking, marching orders sending us to battle when he has never fought a day in his life. But we have the kind of king in Jesus who goes before us into battle. He is leading us from the front, and he has already won the war. And now he's saying, go. Go. And so the question for us this morning is, well, what does that look like? Where is he calling us to go? Now, you and A, we make a lot of assumptions trying to answer that question. The first assumption that we make is that Jesus isn't calling us to go to the ends of the earth. Now, I know for all of us in the sanctuary this morning, at least most of us, that maybe has never crossed your mind, at least not outside of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't imagine leaving this place and going to a culture or a nation or a world that you know nothing about. But when Jesus says, go, that's part of what he's saying, that the gospel has to go out to the ends of the earth, maybe this morning if you're willing to open your hands like this when it comes to your life, could it be that God is calling you to go to the end of the earth, to do something radical, something you could not possibly even imagine for his kingdom? But you see, the other assumption I think we make is that we're not already in the place that he has sent us. You see, the Great Commission at its heart Is ascending. And we see that language in all of the different places, in all four gospels and the book of Acts, as they record the words of the Great Commission. I wanna show you what I mean. Again, we're in Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, verse 15, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke twenty-four forty-seven, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus said in John 20, 21, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Acts 1:8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice how Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends them out starting right where they already are and then to the ends of the earth. That's why at Park City's Presbyterian Church, we exist to extend the kingdom in Dallas and to the world. Because as much work as there is to be done to the ends of the earth, there is also much work to be done here. Could it be that God has already called you to that work? Let me ask you a question this morning. Where do you live? What street do you live on? What neighborhood has God placed you in? What apartment building? What townhome do you live in? Why do you live there? Is it just because it's a good real estate investment? It's because it's the only place that you could find? Or could it be that the sovereign God of the universe and all his authority has placed you right where you are so that you could extend the kingdom to your neighbors and your friends. What do you do with your life? What's your vocation? What's your calling? As I look out into the sanctuary, I see teachers and doctors and scientists and workers of all kinds. But you know what else I see? I see mothers. I see fathers. I see grandparents. I see friends the aunts and uncles. Could it be that God has given you these relationships as a calling to extend his kingdom? God also sends blessing to us, and he also sends pain. Could it be that he has allowed these things in our life so that we could boldly extend the kingdom to others who suffer with us, that they might be blessed too? You see, Jesus commands us to go, starting in Dallas and to the ends of the earth. The question for you and me this morning is, where is he calling you to extend? The second thing I want us to see, I want you to know that Jesus calls us to make disciples. Look again with me, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples. Now, many Christians today find that command a bit intimidating. I wonder if that describes you this morning. After all, you might be thinking, well, how how am I supposed to make disciples? Isn't that something that pastors should do or missionaries like Heidi should do? Isn't that something for kind of upper echelon Christians? Someone with a degree? There's just no way I can do that. And I think sometimes the idea of making disciples is intimidating for us because we've forgotten what it means to be disciples ourselves. You see, a disciple is just a follower of Jesus. And if there's anything the Gospels teach us, it's that Jesus picked a bunch of broken, sinful people to be his disciples. Sinful people just like you and me. Jesus chose 12 broken and sinful men, fishermen, tax collector, to be the ones who would start the global movement of Christianity. If you spend any time in the Bible, you'll see that God always uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. And so when Jesus says, make disciples Don't be intimidated, because all he is saying is, show people the same Jesus that you have come to know and love and abide in. Jesus says, make disciples. I think the other reason why making disciples seems intimidating to us is because we have forgotten that this is really good news. The Great Commission was not given by Jesus in a vacuum. He wasn't just giving these marching orders, but they come with a context. So often we take verses of the Bible out of their context, and we just talk about that one verse without realizing the occasion for which these words were spoken. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he was doing it on the heels of his resurrection from the dead. will not you look with me at the beginning of Matthew 28? We're told that after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They were looking for Jesus and expected to see his body. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now they are afraid." And for fear of him, verse 4, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you will seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not dead, for he has risen. And he said, come to the place where he lay. We must never forget that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news Jesus Christ was sent into the world to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again that we could have salvation in his name. And so, the very first two evangelists, the first two who ever told anyone that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, were two women named Mary. You see, because that's what evangelism actually means. The word evangelism means good news. Why did the two Marys run and tell the disciples that Jesus was alive? Because how could they not? How could they keep that to themselves? How could they not run as fast as they could and go and tell the disciples that Jesus is no longer dead? He's risen again. How could the disciples keep that to themselves and not run as fast as they could and tell the whole town that Jesus is alive? We can never forget that the gospel is good news. Jesus is alive as his church. How can we keep that to ourselves? We must tell the world that Jesus is alive. That is what evangelism means. But you see, in our world today, evangelism seems offensive. For some of you, if you are not a Christian this morning, maybe that's always rubbed you the wrong way about Christians, that they're always trying to convert other people. And you might be saying, well, that just seems pushy, doesn't it? That you would force your beliefs on me? But I want you to hear this. If that describes you this morning, if evangelism seems offensive to you, I want you to know something. The reason why we want you to know that Jesus died and rose again and all who believe in him have life is because it's good news. And as Charles Spurgeon said we're just a bunch of beggars trying to tell a bunch of other beggars how to find bread. How can we keep that to ourselves? But we have to tell it. We have to proclaim it. You don't need a theology degree from that. You don't need to know all of the latest arguments. You know what you need? You need the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that Jesus, when he calls us to make disciples, he's calling us to be disciples ourselves. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. The third and final thing I want you to know, I want you to know this, that Jesus calls us to all peoples. To all peoples. Look with me, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word nations here is the Greek word ethne. That word ethne doesn't refer to nations like as a a government or a nation state. I mean, imagine how many governments have changed over in the last 2,000 years since Jesus gave these words. So ethne is not referring, Jesus is not saying, "Um, go therefore and make disciples of all countries. The word ethne refers to peoples, tribes, cultures. Jesus is saying, go therefore and make disciples of all peoples. And there are more people groups in the world today than there are countries. Jesus calls us to all peoples. And it's been that way from the very beginning. The book of Genesis, just after Adam and Eve fell, sin enters the world. And those first, like, ten chapters of Genesis are horrendous. Cain kills his brother Abel. The city of man is established. And in that established city of man, they try to work their way to God, and they try to build a tower to make a name for themselves. And so God comes down and he sends a curse on humanity. He confused our language and he scattered us as peoples all over the world. And ever since then, there have been different cultures. And it is those differences in our cultures that have led to division and conflict and war and hatred and racism. But you see something amazing happen. In the book of Acts, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people as Peter is preaching. And suddenly, everyone could hear the gospel in their own language. It was as if the curse at Babel was being reversed. And then in the book of Revelation, John gives us this vision when Jesus returns. Revelation 7 verse 9 After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John gives us a vision of what it will be like one day when Christ comes again. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people united in one voice, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. But what I want you to see is that is not only a future vision, but it is a present calling. Because the gospel transcends culture. I want you to imagine in your mind this morning. If you need to, close your eyes. I mean it. Imagine. Use your imagination this morning, and I want you to imagine a typical Christian in our world. What do they look like? How old are they? Are they male or female? What denomination are they a part of? It's a trick question. I'm not going to tell you the answer. What are they wearing? What country are they from? What's the color of their skin? Did you know that by 1980, there were already more Christians in the global south, in Africa, South America, than there were in North America by 1980? Today, there are over one billion Christians in Africa and Latin America alone. Christianity, is, or China, is often known as the center of atheism in our world today. But sociologists predict that by 2030, there might be more Christians in China than there are in the United States. And so as you look around the sanctuary this morning, I want you to know something. The majority of the people in this room are a minority in the kingdom of God the gospel is cross-cultural and he has called us to all peoples maybe he's calling you to go to the ends of the earth today there are over seven thousand people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ will you go will you tell them about your Lord and Savior but you see God has also brought the peoples right here to our own city. We live in a diverse city. 30% of Dallas is white. 25% of Dallas is African American. 40% of Dallas is Hispanic. And almost 24% of residents in Dallas County weren't born in America. They come from Latin America and Africa and Europe and Asia. God has brought the peoples here, and so what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us as a church to extend the kingdom of Jesus Christ to Dallas and to the world? As I look out in the sanctuary, I see a lot of faces where I know you were here 30 years ago when this church began. Let me ask you this what would it look like if we had that same kind of renewed energy? What if we pretended that we were a brand new church again? That God had started a new church right here on the corner of Oaklawn and Wycliffe? How would we reach Dallas and the world with the gospel of Jesus? Well, four years ago, we launched the Extend campaign. That vision had three pillars new doors, new churches, new city. Yes. We celebrate the fact that God has built new doors. But his calling to us to extend his kingdom is just beginning. New doors of ministry on this campus, new churches to be planted in Dallas and all over the world, and a new city that we all should seek for his namesake so beginning next week, we'll begin to highlight some of the priorities that we believe God has called us to. But for now, let me leave you with this. Remember, the church is not a building. It's not an institution. And it's not even a missions organization. The church is a people. And this calling is for all of us. So how is God calling you to extend? Let me pray. Father, We ask that you would send your spirit to show us this great calling you've given us, to open our eyes to the work that you are doing all over the world and ask the question, how can we be a part of that? To open our hands and the grip that we have on our own lives and to come at you empty-handed today and to say, here am I, send me. We pray that you would give us eyes to see all of the ways you have already placed us in strategic relationships and locations to share the good news that Jesus Christ rose again. Help us never to forget that and help us never to do this in our own power, for only when we abide in you, Jesus, can we extend your kingdom. Be with us now as we sing, as we go from here, that as you overwhelm us with gratitude for the gospel. May that spill over in our proclamation of that gospel to others. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.